Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Lisa Van Susteren is a psychiatrist, and in addition to being a clinician with an active clinical practice, she has devoted considerable time over the years to issues of climate control. I was impressed to read a book that she wrote called Emotional Inflammation, Relatively New, because it addressed concerns that apply to both the pre-COVID and concurrently to the COVID realities and stresses in our lives. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, Abby. I'm delighted to be with you. This is a big topic, and I want to try to capture the essence of your message. So let's begin with a basic definition. What is emotional inflammation? It doesn't seem that it's the inflammatory process that so many people think about when you end up needing steroids or Advil. Give us a history, and what does it address? Let me start off by saying that it's frequently asked. I will begin with how the word or the expression came about. My co-author and I were talking about the book. I mentioned a number of conditions that I have seen in my patients over the years really getting worse. And I've seen a transition from the old diagnoses. I'd have somebody who was agoraphobic. I'd have somebody who was adjusting to a career and things like this transitioning and run-of-the-mill type of complaints and disorders, I began to see over and over more and more that there was a, a hyper sense of malaise. If you can imagine, it seems so contradictory, but the malaise being this sense of emptiness. The emptiness was, speaking of steroids, it was almost as if it was emptiness on steroids. I would talk to people. It wasn't that they could identify any particular classic disorder, but their lives seemed out of balance. They were hyper-aroused. It reminded me a lot of the physical information that we have when we've injured ourselves. And the more I have learned about it, the more I have become wedded to the idea that maybe parts of the brain, maybe would see inflammation. That is a topic of considerable research in psychiatry. There is a lot of emphasis on the role of inflammation. Researchers will do something called the C-reactive protein, and when the person's psychiatric conditions are less, the C-reactive protein either drops or goes normal it becomes the proverbial issue in psychiatry, which is overlap, overlap between our chemistry and overlap with the world in which we live. But what I find fascinating is that now you are bringing discussions and you call it an inflammation because it is a disruption of the system, but it's brought about more by psychosocial as opposed to toxins. Your thoughts? Twofold. One is that we've plenty of toxic conditions around us. I'm not going to get on a riff about our food supply, but we know full well that we're being exposed to toxics on a regular basis, and and it's killing us. You put your finger on something that many researchers are talking about. Indeed, we have seen in some studies it was as a result of air pollution, for example, that brains of rats showed signs of inflammation. It brings us directly to the observation that we've all seen, that many depressions, many anxiety disorders, phobias, and so on, are treated verbally, cognitive therapy, nothing to do with medications, and they get better. But one of the things I took away from your book, that people put on the facade of being happy, but under the, is the sense of discontentment or feeling unnerved. And that discontentment is not always an aberrant biological phenomenon. It's the world they live in. 
And then, and I know I'm jumping, but this is what I hope we can get to. At the end of your book, you talk about restoration. What could we do to approach these things? Where do we start in trying to help people understand, do they have emotional inflammation and what can they do about it? Let's start off, first of all, with that discontentment. That is such valuable data. People try to suppress or ignore it, and that's what's telling us something is wrong. On an individual basis, if you feel discontentment, that's your brain telling you something's wrong. I think of that as if you have it, try to unpack why. Find out what might you be suppressing deep down inside, what is important to me? What is purposeful? That data, you want that. The problem is that humans in our, quote, infinite wisdom have decided that we know better how to live in the world and that we're a part of nature. So when the pressures of evolution have created us as a part of nature, and it's sort of like teenagers whose parents are out of town for the weekend, we're breaking all the rules and expecting a different outcome. And anybody who's been a teenager knows that they always find the beer cans, the cigarette butts, or worse. So I look at how we are essentially soiling our own nest here we have changed fundamentally how we interact with nature because we essentially don't. We only spend a very short period of time outside. So we're depriving ourselves of natural light, for example. Well, we know that eyes register light. That's the whole key to sleep. Who doesn't know people who have sleep problems? It's exposure to light that is the critical piece. But there's also what we eat. We have this huge second brain now, it's referred to, the microbiome in our gut. These all need the proper food in order to provide everything that is necessary for them, which includes, believe it or not, 90% of the serotonin that goes into our brains is produced by the gut. Most things that happen in gut affect our brain. Look at what we put in there. And it's not just the food stuff that aren't so good. It's the chemicals that affect that microbiome that can wipe out bacteria, disrupt the balance. We give antibiotics. And again, I'm not I appreciating technology. I'm not downplaying the importance of all of the technology good things in my practice, in one woman in particular, and she does have a lot of very significant psychiatric problems. The poor woman just has those. But I told her that I cannot compete with her eating habits. I can't compete with the cookies. She didn't know what I meant. And I said, you come here with all these problems. You want me to give you a pill that's going to offset how you eat. You've got to do that. The thought that came into my mind after reading your book was that we have changed our relationship to nature. It used to be a source of great comfort and reliability. Now it's not. And a lot of people, it's hard to eat differently. It's hard not to pollute. We have changed our entire relationship to the world yes, around us. Absolutely. It's with some bit of irony that you mentioned the word cookies because we've got cookies, literally, with a sugar high, and then we have the technologic cookies, which also are presenting with a sugar high. It's just interesting to see that term cookies in both areas. 
we know and we have seen and learned so much, I hope, from COVID and all of the sadness that we have. Maybe we can honor those who have given their lives or have oh, yes. worked so hard to protect others by learning some lessons. And one of the lessons is how much we need nature. We know now how much people are wanting to go out to get sunlight, to see the green of nature, to see the symmetry, to see and hear the sounds of nature, reminding ourselves of the gifts or the rewards of nature, which literally, when you see the symmetry in nature, literally affect sectors in the cerebellum responsible for balance. Literally, the chirping sounds of insects and frogs, etc., do calm the amygdala. Fight or flight response is diminished. Nature is a critical part of how we look at the world and can say to ourselves, okay, this looks safe, not noises made by humans, but natural sounds. I neglected to mention water, as well as nickel, has a whole book called Blue Mind on the unbelievably calming, tranquilizing effects of water a cornucopia of solutions and marvelous feelings and, and opportunities to restore the equanimity that we so desperately need. What do you think would be a reasonable approach, especially now during the COVID, when so many people have no control? There is concern among those who don't have money of food insecurity, many things, and this tsunami after tsunami of the media. And you can't watch television for 10 minutes without there being at least one breaking news. I want to go to your notions of the restoration, and you began to talk about it before. It's not a cookbook but it's an attitude. Can you just talk about if someone says, well, how do I put my life back together? Let's first talk about the media. And that is they're breaking the rule that we know from the medical model. First, you talk about the problem and then you segue. You're not going to say, oh, this isn't an aggressive illness when it is. You've got to say that it is. And you are going to drive people's anxiety up. But then the quick pivot is to, here's what we can do about it. Here's what the media doesn't do well, whether it's COVID or climate or anything else. It doesn't turn from here's the problem to here's somebody who's doing something about it. When they do that, the exception. Take people's emotions. Here's what we can do about it. Showing images of wearing masks rather than people not wearing masks. Showing images of nature or ecosystems, the pandemic, is a consequence of nature out of balance. There should be anthropologists and others very concisely making some points. We can do this. And so you steer all the energy into constructive. That, I fault the media, think of that two-step process in giving any message. Can we help patients and family and just the community get a sense of how to go through all these stresses, how to buffer against the ones that are more problematic than others, recognizing that with the crisis right now, there are a lot of things that simply are unknown and people just don't have the control. Some people, as I said, they're facing food insecurity. Do you send your kids to school or not and the like. What would be a philosophic or strategic approach towards helping, I'm going to put it this way, it just occurred to me, to reduce the inflammation? Great question. All right. So first of all, let's agree, all of us, that it is a very challenging time. Believe it or not, I still and repeatedly have made this point and people will say to me, you know, I'm really glad that you reminded me. We need to be reminded that it's tough because we tend to try to suppress the anxiety, the dark feelings, 
that doesn't really help. Let it out. Make yourself conscious. Decide what you're going to do about it. And that's much less likely going to be in the driver's seat than for you and for others than if you do try to push it aside. So it's challenging for everybody. That's number one. Number two, let's realize that this is ultimately time limited. We can rein this in if we take certain steps. So it's time limited. It is something that we can control. The Lord knows that anxiety does skyrocket in times of uncertainty. And we have these times of uncertainty, but they will pass. My greater concern is climate. The climate disruption that we face is not going to be time limited to try to redirect at reducing the challenges and the looming disasters that face us. This is an important aspect of our building back. The question where the rubber meets the road, how do we do this? You know what? One thing is that both of us are lucky enough to have a roof over our head. Well, by God, it's gratitude. It's thinking how lucky we are. We are in a situation where we may feel safe. Those of us who are in a position to do so, that we make sure that we vote. Our voting for people who can make policies that correct stupid decisions on the environment and correct other social ills, that's something that we can do and work hard. That gives people a purpose and it gives people a direction and they wake up in the morning and have something to do. Well, let's not forget also that we lead by example what we feel is contagious. So if we're in a household, our effort to keep our powder dry, our effort to model the behavior that we want to see, that is absolutely critical. And I will also underscore some people laugh, but on the contrary, it works. Have a regular family or house meeting and start off with this is what's working. In other words, starting with gratitude and then segueing to here are a couple of things that are bothering me that I wish would be different so that we cannot sweep things under the rug, but that we can address them. There's no way when we're cheek to jowl like this in small quarters that we're going to be being able to resolve things by trying to elbow our way through. We've got to address them. And as for the school issues, those are issues that are so complex. Another thought came to mind as you were talking, especially about the media, and you talk in your book about hyperreactivity, overstimulation. If you watch Channel A, you're told it's green. If you watch Channel B, you're told it's orange, and you have no idea what's going on. And that inflames people, going back to it being an inflammatory process. I had the great fortune when I was in graduate school in New York City, I was friends with a law student who got a summer job working for CBS News. She worked for Walter Cronkite. And wow. she asked me one day if I would like to go watch the CBS EV News. And the answer was obviously yes. And I got to meet Mr. Cronkite. I shook his hand a oh. few times. And because I was a graduate student, they let me sit in the prep room where they discussed the stories that they were going to run that night. Fascinating. One of the reporters said, and these are more my words than his, but it was probably one of the more profound moments of my education. Somebody said to Mr. Cronkite, whatever the story was, and we need to run it tonight. And he said, no, 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 no. We, we, We need more information before we say this. And the reporter said, but... ABC and NBC are going to run it tonight. And Mr. Cronkite said, good, let them be wrong. Wow. And that's really struck me that so much of what's going on right now, we need a Walter Cronkite because that sort of overactivity leads to emotional inflammation. That's why I liked your book. I liked the concept. 
Thank you. One of the things that comes to mind when you say channel A and channel B is that we have a polarization in the media now. And one of the issues is that my friend James Hansen says that when we are discussing challenging issues, there is the scientific method and then there's the talk show method. And he pointed out the differences. It's imperative that we discuss that polarization and recognize that some material is based on fact, based on scientific method. The other is just an opinion. We can't complain to people. They may have a different opinion, but they can't change the facts. Absolutely. So what happens is that people will sensationalize because they hope they'll get more viewers and more viewers will drive more revenue. We need more people who represent other aspects of how we live, which is how the Constitution really envisioned us. We want things to be solved. We don't want to read long articles. We want bullet points. We have lost a certain frustration tolerance, so we don't seek to understand on a deeper level. If anyone is sitting anywhere waiting for anything, be looking into a phone, people aren't musing anymore where your thoughts become a little more creative as you let go of the outside world. It's the default mode network that takes over, that has us thinking in creative ways. We're not doing that so much anymore in terms of solving humanity's problems or taking the time to execute them. We can listen to what works over the long term. I don't want to say it, but we're not going to survive. Lisa Van Susteren is a psychiatrist. She put a lot of her concerns into a book called Emotional Inflammation. I recommend reading it, and I recommend thinking about what she is saying to us all. Thank you so much for being with us. It's really been quite, quite interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.